Hi, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to be talking with astrologers Austin Kopic and Kelly Surtees about the astrological forecast for October of 2021. Uh, so hey, guys, welcome. Hi. Hey. hey. All right. I'm going to give a little bit of an overview of the month ahead and the astrology uh, of October, just to give a snapshot of what we're going to be talking about for the next couple of hours here at the beginning. Uh, then I'll welcome you both to the show, and then we'll get into a deep dive of the astrology of the next few weeks. Does that sound good to you? Sounds Indeed. great. All right, here we go. So um, here is the astrology calendar for October, where the very first thing that happens, we start off in the midst of a Mercury retrograde in the sign of Libra, which is active for the entire first three weeks of October. Then the first other major thing that happens is we have a new moon in the sign of Libra on October 6th, and Pluto stations direct in the sign of Capricorn the same day. The very next day on, on October 7th, Venus ingresses into the sign of Sagittarius, leaving the sign of Scorpio. Uh, then two days later, we have the Sun-Mercury conjunction right in the middle of the Mercury retrograde on October 9th. Saturn then stations direct the following day on October 10th in Aquarius, and then the following week, Jupiter stations direct in Aquarius as well, the same day that Mercury stations direct in Libra on October 18th. Then we have our second lunation of the month on the 20th of October, which is a full moon in the sign of Aries. Then the sun moves into Scorpio on the 23rd. And finally, at the very end of the month on the 30th, Mars departs from Libra and moves into the sign of Scorpio for the next couple of months. And that's basically the, the gist of the major astrological transits that we're going to be talking about today in this episode as we look at the astrology of October. Um, all right, so with that introduction out of the way, uh, welcome to the show. Welcome, Austin. Kelly, welcome back. You have just relocated from, you were living in Belgium and Europe for two years, and you just moved back to Toronto or thereabouts, right? Yes, yes, just moved back to Canada. Which has been lovely. Yeah, well, welcome. Uh, I know people have missed you. We've been cycling through different uh, guest uh, speakers to fill in your spot while you were gone over the summer, over the past few months, um, and it's been fun working with some of those people. But it's nice to have you back for what will be a, a guest spot this month, right? Yes, yes. I'm I'm glad you've had fun working with different speakers because this will be my final show. Uh, it has been amazing being a part of this team and contributing to the community, but I am stepping back just to focus on some of my own projects and go at a slightly slower pace, uh, which is just something that I'm ready for for myself. I want to thank the whole community here because this astrology podcast community is really amazing. So thank you all for your support over the years that we have been doing the show together Especially, Chris, I want to thank you for putting this together, for running everything, for organizing everything, and for the amazing offering that you share with our community, because there are so many people who have found astrology or been able to further and commit to their astrology journey because of this podcast. So, you know, hats off to you for this wonderful offering. And a huge shout out and thank you to Austin, my teammate in this fabulous wild adventure every month. It has been a really fantastic experience. I'm looking forward to hopefully doing a fabulous final show with you all. Um, but I did want to say a huge thanks both to you, Chris and Austin, and to the whole community. Yeah, thank you. It's been amazing working with you for the past five years. I mean, a lot of people already know the story about that we put this together after meeting up at a Northwest Astrology Conference and having so much fun. And then 
wanting to keep working together. So we immediately went back and started recording podcasts together. And then Austin joined us the following month just by happenstance. But it turned out to be a really fun and, and beautiful collaboration over the past five or six years. Yes, it has been amazing. Amazing. Yeah, it's been awesome. I mean, the the show wouldn't it be what it's been without you. And personally, it's been, you know, um, a great excuse to get to know each other better. Totally, you know? totally. You we are really... my prenatal lunation. <laughs> right. And we really didn't know each other that well before we started doing the show. So we've kind no, of got no. to know each other through this. Yeah. Um, so this is going to give you time for one of the projects you need to work on, and we're going to give you a hard time about I know. soon. If you don't, is your your book, your long awaited book on secondary progressions, which you're still working on, but yes, um, that's going to be something you're going to focus on in terms of projects, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. I've got a fair bit of teaching between now and the end of the year um, with my students. And then I have cleared a lot of space in the schedule next year for the book because I'm actually teaching on progressions right now. And I'm like, and, and the students are like, what should I read? I'm like, it's still in progress, but yes, it is. It is coming. The progress moon phases chapter is where I got a little bogged down because it's, it's a more meaty section. But yes, that is definitely at the top of the list of projects to attend to more fully. Awesome. And then you're going to keep producing um, videos on YouTube because you have your own YouTube channel, which is at youtube.com slash Kelly's Astrology, right? Yes. Yes, that is true. Yes. So I've got my own channel there. I've got a monthly um, astrology membership that I share our videos with subscribers each month. So, oh yeah, and there's my uh, my little nice, YouTube channel. Nice it's thumbnail like, game. I appreciate your thumbnail you. game. <laughs> I, I totally learned from you, Chris. You have been right. a great teacher and mentor in this regard. Uh, yeah, that's been fantastic. So, yeah. Cool. All right. Well, Thank thanks you. for coming back to to join us for this um, forecast to look at the astrology of of October. I'm really excited. I'm glad to look at October with you guys and not November. <laughs> so, right. You picked <laughs> a good month. Thank you for to letting me do October. <laughs> okay. Yeah. This is the nice month, the calm before the storm. And there's some nice planets stationing direct in like Aquarius. And yeah. at least once you get to the tail end of the Mercury retrograde later in the month, some things almost seeming like there's some resolution before Mars moves into Scorpio and, and things go a little bit awry. A little bit different. Yeah. All right. Um, so, uh, why don't we start first? I wanted to just initially review some of the things that happened and how they turned out over the past month since our last forecast, which was with Rick Levine. Um, and if there was any stories in the news that were sort of notable in terms of how the astrology turned out um, and things like that. And that'll help set us up with some context as we then jump into the astrology of October. Um, did either of you have any major news stories or things that were interesting in terms of the astrological alignments and how they turned out? Well, um, just one thing for me, the the moon's <laughs> the moon's last conjunction with Jupiter when Mercury was um in the shadow but not dangerously close. Um I had the pleasure of speaking at the Astro uh, Magia conference, which is an astrological magic conference. And I just really wanted to share how impressed I was with the way the conference was run, how smooth everything was, and the really consistently impressive quality of the presentations. Awesome. Yeah, that's amazing. That's got to be one of the first Astrology Magic conferences, really, then just further cementing how much that's made a huge uh, comeback in, in very recent years. Yeah, I didn't. 
you know, honestly, I just didn't have any expectations as to how smoothly, poorly, great, terrible, whatever it would be. And I was, I just came away like really impressed. So I just wanted to give a little, little credit where it's due. Nice. Yeah. That, that had an amazing lineup of presenters and topics. So that's good to hear that it was as good as it looked from the outside. Yeah. And, you know, we know how chaotic online conferences can get. Mm. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't and couldn't attend uh, every talk, but everyone that I did attend was just super smooth. Um, it was just, you know, it was um, um, both content and form were very on point. Nice. Uh, that's cool. Uh, let's see other things in the in the podcast last month. Rick Levine drove through Denver, and we recorded a an episode in the Planet series on Uranus together. And fittingly, in the first uh, fifty seconds of recording the episode, there was a sudden and unexpected power outage. Like literally after I said the word uh, Uranus, and then the power went out as we were sitting there, um, literally a minute into the episode. So. There it oh is. my goodness. <laughs> yeah. So we did what any good astrologer does. And you can hear I put like an outtake because one of the cameras kept running because it switched to battery power. And you can hear Rick ask me like what any astrologer would in that circumstance, which is what time is it and what's the chart look like right now? And I cast the chart and Saturn was literally right on the ascendant the moment the power cut out, not just for my entire building, but for like a mile radius around the, in this part of Denver. Right, so Uranus would have then uh, been down by the IC in the fourth. Yeah, so it, so it's sort of like activating that square that's happening all year between Saturn and Uranus to some extent. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so what's additionally funny is then it took about an hour until the power came b- back on, and about an hour later, uh, the ascendant reached Jupiter, and that's when the power came back on, which is funny as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's fantastic. Fun little exercises in electional astrology and things like that. Um, I don't know if you've had experiences like that of like having an event happen and then looking at the chart and the chart of the moment, or especially a planet exactly on the angle, just perfectly describing what was happening in that moment. But that was a really stark example that I'm glad I got on on film. That's brilliant. It does. I it, I do know of it happening quite a lot with the planet Uranus, with astrologers mm-hmm. and Uranus, whether somebody. Is doing a talk and they just get to the point of it where they want to mention Uranus briefly and something, some tech glitch happens. Uh, it's quite, quite magical to see. Well, yeah. And that's the, I mean, this is literally just like the accidental version of one of the, the principles of astrological magic mm. is like Uranus is out there doing Uranus things anyway. And then if you call that when it's ready to, ready to shake things up, you can call that to your location, mm. you know, um, <laughs> accidentally or on purpose. Or on purpose, yes. Right. I, I'm just thinking about this because that was that was the talk that I gave was, um, you know, like an hour and a half of the structure of calling and different historical instances of calling and different ways to approach calling uh, planets. Yeah. Well, and it was a really good example. That sometimes when you when you invoke the planets you you invoke the planets and and sometimes that energy like shows up in your in your life in different ways in ways that you might not expect yeah there's uh that one thing that's happened to me because of the uh less than ideal um configuration of my natal sun is sometimes when i've talked about that my video will go out in classes or like i'll lose my connection um you know i talk about you know with the sun there are problems with 
when that sun is afflicted, is there problems being seen or recognized? Mm. Um, I think the worst version of that was when I was doing an astrology and tarot class some years ago, and I, the whole class was on the sun card. <laughs> and so, um, you know, it was just uh, ep epic dropouts and uh, internet failures. Right. All yeah. Right. So, so that was one of the things that happened last month. And people can look. I put the outtake. It's like a five minute outtake on YouTube. So you can just search for um, Uranus episode snafu on our YouTube channel to find that. Um, other than that, other things in the news that I thought were interesting since the last forecast, one of them was the whole thing that happened with um, AOC and the whole thing with her dress when she went to the Met Gala was weird because we literally, I, I had mentioned AOC because we were talking about the Libra stellium last month and how Mars was going to be there. So in the discussion with Rick and Austin on the last forecast for September, I did a quick search through my solar fire database to see who had a stellium like that in Libra with Mercury and Mars and the sun. Mm. And her chart came up in AOC's chart. And I so I had like talked about and mentioned how um, it, it's in her 11th house and how she has these funny in addition to a Mercury Mars conjunction by sign, she has these really witty, just like burns and, and the statements on like Twitter, like pretty regularly. Um, so it was interesting that she came up in the news when that stellium was kind of repeated in the sky. And it was for wearing this dress that said in like red letters on the back, it said like tax the rich, which was a really beautiful manifestation of Mars and Libra, I felt like. Well, and that you you brought up AOC after I was talking about Mars and Libra literally being um, like Mars in an art gallery over mm. and over again, right? Yeah, yeah, that's perfect. Like we're literally wearing wearing a dress. Um, so here's a screenshot from like USA Today with the picture, and I don't think you can get a better like demonstration of like Mars and Libra than wearing a dress that says. You know, tax the rich. That's a that's a pretty good, pretty obvious, straightforward manifestation. Yeah, that was a good one. It's that 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 line that ended up lining up really well. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's like saying something like kind of spicy through art or through fashion. Through art. And it was at a like a fashion event that is in a gallery. Um, like so, Austin, if you were saying like Mars at the art gallery, like that is very literal. It's like the protester coming in to the art thing yeah exactly Thank you, planets yeah for being so literal yeah. <laughs> right um, it's but it's funny like obviously i wasn't here last month so i didn't know you guys talked about aoc but when i was thinking about the astrology for october with all the libra stuff and then also venus into sag which is also what aoc has i did think about her chart as just oh she has a lot in her chart of what we're going to see throughout the month of october right hmm yeah, so that'll be good to continue to sort of pay attention to some of the manifestations. Oh, I have of something actually. To, speaking of um, Mars, uh, uh, you know, uh, we're talking about Mars and Libra, right? We're talking about Mars in detriment or exile, like in a difficult place, right? And also combust the sun. And so, um, so sometimes what you see with that is, you know, Marsing in a very non-Mars location, uh, but sometimes you just see like. A failure to Mars, and there was a much hyped, um, uh, there was a much hyped boxing uh, sort of celebrity boxing event um, where there was um, there was a, an, a retired MMA fighter and a retired uh, boxer. God, it was Evander Holyfield, wasn't it? Um, 
but uh and everyone's like oh this would be interesting but holyfield was um just like obviously like kind of old and brain damaged and it was really sad we're talking about combustion as like being burnt out uh, um and so it like they stopped it like within a round but everyone's like wow that should not have even been licensed that was um it you know it's like no no, no. like it's yeah sometimes it's fun to watch people beat each other up but like you don't want to see people who are obviously not supposed to be there who've obviously taken too many shots already and i was like oh yeah there's there's mars combust right it's at the very end of its cycle like it needs to no longer appear visibly right which is what a planet combust does it doesn't appear visibly it's like you know, go go quietly into the night you know have a have a good rest of your life hmm. yeah that's a pretty pretty literal example um, let's see other news stories. There's one other news story. This one was a little bit more depressing, but there was a, I don't know if you guys saw in the news, it was like, um, you know, in late August when there was the whole debacle with the US pulling out of Afghanistan, there was, um, one like, like bombing attack on the, at the airport that killed like 200 people. And then the US military was super freaking out and on edge as they continued to evacuate. And there was a, a drone strike on August 29th, which is very close to the Mars Neptune opposition. And at first in the news, like the US was saying their through their media outlets, they were saying this is a, a righteous strike, quote unquote. But then in the weeks that followed, the news that ended up coming out was that they actually actually accidentally bombed and killed at least 10 civilians, including several children. Um, so it turned out to be this sort of debacle of the US military like basically really messing up and um killing at least 10 Afghans who were innocent and one of which was like an aid worker or something like that. Mm. So that was a really um tragic sort of example of a Mars Neptune opposition. Here's the chart for August 29th when that was getting really close with Mars at like 19 Virgo coming up to Neptune at 22 Pisces. So um, yeah, in terms of Mars opposing Neptune and and sometimes um, Austin, I know you were making you made a statement about um, you know with Mars needing to take uh, decisive action, but like know what it's doing, and and with Neptune there, that's not always doesn't work out so well. Right, like the you know there are things we like about Neptune, like being very imaginative when you are you know, when you have lethal weapons at your disposal, you don't want to be imaginative about, about how those no. are released, right? Like you, you actually, you want to be very factual. Very specific um, and yes. detail oriented. Right. And, and how much more important is that for Mars and Virgo, right? Where it's like the whole, the strength is the accuracy. Right. And the sort of precision. But in this instance, one of the issues with Neptune is when you're um, under the fog of some sort of illusion or deception, you don't usually know it. It's usually only after the smoke clears that you you realize um, that you were not clear about something or that you made a mistake. Um, and I guess that's what happened here, evidently. Or you're just sloppy. Yeah, right. And you didn't check your P's and Q's. Yeah. So um, that's a really yeah. Not it's a good example, but obviously a really sad one. But hopefully, in terms of taking something for that in the future, in terms of when you're taking action, um, being especially careful if you're under uh, Neptune transits. 
All right. So I think those are all the news stories that I have to review from last month of things that like majorly stuck out. So why don't we jump into and start talking about the astrology of October? All right. Sure. All right. So um, we've been experimenting with a new um, graphic artist named Zartana, who has been designing us some weekly um, astrology graphics that are really great in order to really zoom in on and focus on the week by going through it um, each month and breaking it up into four quarters and looking at the astrology of each week. So this is the graphic that she designed for us uh, for the first week of October, for October 3rd through the 9th, which is essentially the opening. And one of the first aspects that we have is that the retrograde Mercury in Libra forms a trine with Jupiter, which is the second trine that it will make. And I guess that brings us to the opening backdrop going into October that we need to talk about, which is that Mercury stationed retrograde in Libra at the very end of September on the 27th. So it's going to be retrograde for like the first three weeks of the month, basically. And that's the backdrop that we go into October with, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, again, more than the first half of the month. And part of it, you know, part of it is that there's there's just a lot in Libra, right? We have uh, Mercury, Mars, Sun in Libra for about that first two thirds of the month, and that Mercury retrograde is interesting um, to me because it's doing a couple different things and configured pretty tightly to a couple different planets. Um, and as we we talked with Rick about a little bit last week, like it's it's a it's an interesting and mixed bag because the um, I, I suppose the benefit. Of Mercury having slowed down in late Libra as it did, <clears throat> as it as it is doing right now, uh, and then stationing as it will in a few days, um, is that it's preserving and extending um, that trine with Jupiter. Right, there are three exact trines, but if we're looking at the amount of time that Mercury is in orb, right, like within three degrees of Jupiter, right, we've got weeks and weeks of <laughs> Mercury within. Uh, or at least two weeks of Mercury within two or three degrees of, uh, or, you know, three degrees of Jupiter, right? And that's a great thing, but it's also extended Mercury's square with Pluto, right? Yes. Which is almost exactly um, as exact or is exact as many times. And then <clears throat> at the end of the, uh, at the very, uh, towards the end of the Mercury retrograde, <coughs> excuse me. We've got a, a some Mercury Mars action, and then we're going to get extended Mercury Mars, right? So we, when we talk about Mercury as a messenger um, and being dependent to a certain degree on what other planets are around for messages to deliver, we uh, we have like no no deficit of messages to deliver with this this cycle with Mercury. Yeah, so let's talk about that because it brings up an issue I'm struggling with because I'm almost finished with my planet series where I just did Uranus and then I'm going to record the Saturn episode with Diana Rose Harper at the beginning of October. And I already recorded Neptune with Laura Nalbandian. So the last planet I actually have to do in the series is, is Pluto. But um, so I wanted to ask both of you what you think about Pluto and what Pluto signifies because one of the issues I have is that it's, um, you know, Pluto in some traditions has become a big deal and there's some schools that like, Pattern their entire approach around Pluto, um, and the mythology has become much more of a cornerstone of astrology in the past few decades, somewhat suddenly. Um, but that's left me a little bit 
uneasy or a little ambiguous about really getting to the heart of what Pluto is and what it signifies, which becomes really important in instances like this where we have an inner planet that's forming a, an elongated aspect, a hard aspect, a square with Pluto. Um, so what do you both think about what Pluto signifies in its core significations that come to mind right away? And what does it mean in particular when Mercury is square Pluto? Um, so many things pop into my brain. I mean, core, some of the basic core significations for Pluto, I mean, of course we have the power and the intensity, that desire for control, the quality of unearthing. Um, and I think particularly with Mercury and Pluto together, there is an investigative kind of digging quality. Um, for me, when I had my own personal transiting Pluto square Mercury aspect, I actually went and studied therapy. Um, so that's when I did my counseling and therapy training. Part of that is to have therapeutic work yourself, but it was also about digging in and understanding, you know, some of the psychology and human behavior and where the origins of our motivation and our choices come from, the unconscious origins, if you like. And that always seemed very apt for me that there was this digging into um, things that might be hidden or otherwise not known to the conscious mind. Uh, so there's those sides of it. And then you know, when within charts with clients, with Pluto, we see a lot of control dynamics, you know, not having power, developing agency. And I think they're interesting metaphors to work with. Uh, Mercury-Pluto aspects, one phrase that I come to a lot with those is this, this idea of truth serum or truth telling. You know, how do we get to the heart of something or the core of something? And can Mercury help give voice to something that is very precious or very private um, hidden, uh, sometimes sacred, because there's some. Sometimes we don't know what's in there, and it can be gunky, but it can also be gold. You know, when we go digging. So there's some of the the themes and threads that that I that come to mind for me. Uh, what about you guys? Well, let's see. I mean, I suppose first, um, yeah, I, I agree with all of that. Like, I, I see the, um, uh, in particular, the uh, Pluto seems to bring out. Um, issues of visibility and invisibility, where oftentimes something that was not visible suddenly becomes visible, as in like the disclosure or discovery of a secret. Um, but then you also have the like um, the hiding things, the taking something that's visible and hiding it, right, so that it can't be seen. Um, and in general, I don't know. I the I see Pluto um, very much as having a function that overlaps with um that of the the nodes uh the way they're particularly described in vedic astrology but also some of the head and tail of the dragon stuff like with rahu you have this exaggeration um and overdoing it and pluto will totally do that but then you also have with ketu you have this like um making something become transparent or ghostly or invisible or a sudden disappearance you know both nodes um, as we see through eclipses when they're activated, create sudden appearances from nowhere and then sudden disappearances. And um, Pluto, I, I guess when I think of Pluto, I think of like a like a hellmouth or a gate between the visible and the invisible. Like something might pop out of nowhere or something that's supposed to be there might just disappear all of a sudden. And with with Mercury, you know, Mercury's obviously interested. Well, it's interesting if we're going to play mythology a little bit. Um, you know, Mercury is 
Uh, Mercury is capable of traversing all three worlds and does so regularly, right? The, um, and Mercury also appears and disappears in the sky, right? And so um, Mercury or in uh, astrologies like the, um, you know, the intellect is capable of going to places that, for example, um, the heart would die from, right? We can think about things <laughs> that we can't, that would be horrible to experience, but, you know, the mind is swifter and lighter, right? And so we can kind of go to these, these places and think about possibilities, um, with, with Mercury's greater range. Um, but yeah, secrets, secrets, what's not secret, what's hidden, uncovering the hidden, you know, which can be excessive and obsessive. Um, you know, I always think of, um, for Mercury in general, but for underworld explorations, it's always cave networks, right? Which, you know, they're not, they're not designed like, uh, like a building, right? Like they're, you know, they're, they're, you know, giant cave systems where you could wander for miles in one direction in the dark or only with a flashlight, only to find out that it's, um, you know, uh, that it's a dead end, or you might get stuck trying to get through somewhere. It's easy to get lost and stuck, um, in the, the literal underworld of the earth, like the cave networks. Just as you're saying that Austin, when you said caves, it brought me back to the most recent times that I was walking in caves. And I'm going to sound a little bit like, Oh, I've just been traveling. And I know, you know, other people haven't been able to do this, but we spelunking. <laughs> yeah. We were very lucky to be able to take a quick trip to the Champagne region back in June before we came back to Canada. Europe was a little bit more open then. And uh I didn't know this, but very old traditional champagne houses store their hundreds of thousands of bottles of champagne in tunnels underground. And we went to this one particular champagne house that was storing their bottles of champagne in tunnels that go back to the Roman period. So they're more than 1,500 years old. These tunnels weren't originally built to hold champagne in them. They would have been under abbeys or, or what have you, but that's what they've become to do. And you would walk down and you could easily get lost down there. Some You'd see, you walk past tunnels and they would have, you know, like a six-figure number and you, the tour guide would explain, well, that's how many bottles of champagne are, you know, down that particular tunnel. So don't go too far because you might <laughs> never come back kind of thing. But the idea of like being in these tunnels, it's dark. Sometimes there's a bit of light from above. Sometimes there's not. And you might find your treasure or you might find that all the champagne bottles in that particular tunnel have exploded and there's nothing there uh, kind of thing. So, I, and I think the, it, it's interesting to use imagery about tunnels because to many of us living in modern 21st century life, we don't spend a lot of time underground you know, many of us don't, you know, we don't, we're not digging in tunnels, we're not storing our food underground, that type of thing. But tunnels were, they played a really interesting role, I think, for uh, in, in, in increasingly uh, like a larger role for historical groups of people. Yeah. And they have the, like the perfect um, haunted quality that you kind of want with Pluto that feels right. Um, you know, if you think about like um, a uh, the, you know, a lot of cities have like an abandoned underworld or like, um, like subway tunnels that aren't in use anymore. Right. It's like, what's down there. Yes. Yeah. I also, if we're talking about history and tunnels, um, or caverns and tunnels, um, these were often used as places of initiation, right. Um, <clears throat> in very different parts of the world. 
um, like in South, South and Central America, and then some of the Greek, um, the Greek-ish world uh, mystery cults. And that's actually one of the one of the ways that I that I uh, that I that I've taught Pluto is that it's initiatory, but in that like they feed you a potion that's um, you know full of a bunch of drugs that are going to give you a death experience and blindfold you and drop you in a cave, right? <laughs> Which you know if you didn't ask for that, that's um, that's an abduction experience, that's trauma. But like if it's you know if it's on purpose, then it's initiatory. Um, but like both, you know, there's still a, like a break in reality or break in normalcy quality, even when Pluto is, um, we're looking at a, an experience that's positive or intentional. It's still like, um, it's a, you know, it's like a, a rift in the, the fabric of the normal real of a person's experience. I like the tunnel analogy also, cause tunnels is, is a place where people can sometimes put things that they want to hide and that they don't want to be found. Um, but sometimes tunnels can get unearthed either very soon after something's hidden or sometimes long after it's hidden, but there's still this quality of like a disclosure because you have both the person who's trying to hide something, but then you also have the other end of that, which is the person who's trying to find something, especially if they have a sort of intuitive hint that there's something there that they've deduced that there's something to find. Um, so this investigative quality that comes with Pluto maybe might be something that's high heightened when it comes to a square with Mercury at the same time. Um, and I like a lot of the other keywords that you were using, Kelly, like um, notions of you know obsessiveness, compulsiveness, intensity, going to extremes, taking something small and making it really big. Um, but at the same time, while having that happen, while Mercury is trining Jupiter brings in this other element of the search for truth and some of the growth and expansion themes to like blow something up and make it even bigger of a story than it would be otherwise. Um, that also has that sort of investigative component. So maybe maybe part of it is getting to the truth of something that um, somebody doesn't want to divulge or that doesn't want to be made public, but it is despite that. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, it's interesting that Jupiter. Even though having very contrary qualities in a lot of ways, still like contributes to that like quest for the truth, right? It, it, Jupiter is usually not framing it <laughs> in terms of in terms of an underworld journey, um, but it's still a quest for the truth. And it just occurred to me um, just uh, that you can frame some of the obsession that you get with Pluto um, in that ca like caverns analogy. Like if you go deep enough in. You don't even remember how to get out, right? Which is like what an obsession feels like. Where you're like, I don't know, I'm just in this. I don't, I don't remember the way out. I'm just here now. And the timeline is interesting, Chris. How you? I mean, I love how you connected the Mercury Pluto and the Mercury Jupiter. You know, because Mercury is doing both on very similar timelines, which really I think highlights the first week of November as an interesting point in time. I know that's just a little outside the scope of what we're talking about today, but in that first week of November, the third and final Mercury Jupiter aspect happens, and the third and final Mercury Pluto aspect will happen. Okay, so this is like a sequence of stuff that's it's playing out for several yeah. weeks. Yeah, kind of like from about the last 10 days of September, off and on through October, and then early November, the final hits. One of our um, patrons that's joining us for the live chat, Diane Daubry, mentioned that she said this discussion reminds me of the Gabby Petito case um, that's ongoing oh, right now. Oh, yeah, that's a great call. 
Yeah, which is just um, you know, for those who have, haven't seen it, it's been plastered over the news. Just this really sad um, case of a young woman in her early twenties that was murdered, and now her boyfriend's like her fiance has disappeared and is like the prime suspect in the case. But it was this whole mystery for most of the past few weeks, where they went driving on a cross country trip together, and then. Um, he went back home and took her van and then didn't report her missing. And then eventually, I think it was like her family reported her missing and he wasn't involved in helping or telling anyone that she was gone. And then later she ended up being found murdered. Yeah. Now he's um, like somewhere, right? You have that same like, you know, the underworld is sometimes literally the underworld, but it's uh, the underworld begins wherever the known ends. Right, the underworld is the unknown, and that's that's one of the sort of mythological associations with Pluto that I like. That is confirmed by the actual position of the body. Um, is it's you know it's right around the edge of the planetary world, right? Like the <clears throat> the solar system has a certain order out to Neptune, and then the the other layers are very different. And Pluto, <clears throat> Pluto is the closest of those, like those strange outer bodies, which have a different material composition, which have different uh, types of orbits, et cetera, et cetera. So that like prowling the boundary of the known and the unknown. Um, and that Pluto is also the only one of those bodies that cuts inside um, of the, of Neptune's orbit ever so briefly. So, like, you know, bringing that like cold out, uh, the well cave temperature <laughs> solar system cave temperature kind of unknown outer realm like into the planetary world where there you know these bright and shining spheres yeah um well it's it's been interesting in terms of you know there's been to have a the media focused on and to have a like a murder case being like front page news and and such a Terrible thing, you know, that happened, and and so many people being talk talking about it. But then there's also interestingly been discussions about like how this should be talked about in the media and how it should be even talked about amongst astrologers um, in the age where you have so many different podcasts that are on like true crime stories and things like that. So to some extent, things like that have been normalized. But then sometimes people sometimes going too far and there being a question over like what is the line of like good taste in terms of um talking about something even if it's in the news or even doing astrology of something it just makes me think of that again that mercury um pluto square but also the trine with jupiter in in these issues of um the media and news and discussion and what is up for discussion versus what is you know very sensitive and and other things like that so maybe that'll be some of the themes that continue to develop and evolve over the next few weeks as this Mercury retrograde um, heightens and sort of extends or draws out a period of discussion and draws out some topics that might otherwise have not been normally discussed. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So, um, and I was thinking about Mercury retrograde. One of the things I think I've said before in the forecasts, but just sometimes with Mercury retrograde, you know. One of the classic manifestations is having to do something over again. And so doing something, but then something going awry or something going wrong, and then you have to start from square one and do it all over again. But the second time you do it, or the third time in some instances, 
you usually do it a lot better because you've learned from your mistake. And that might be a good thing for people to keep in mind going forward if they experience some of those classic Mercury retrograde things is just going into it with a sort of openness to failing and learning from your failures because sometimes that's the only way that you can improve. Yeah, I would also say that um, sometimes going into a Mercury retrograde thing, being like, hey, we're just going to try it this way. Um, we're not committed to doing it this way. We're probably going to find bugs. Like, let's go. It's like doing a, like a, like a beta test for software or a game. We're like, yeah, it's, it's definitely not ready, but like, it's not going to get any more ready by avoiding it. We need to just run it and know that it's like, be on the lookout for problems and have that literally be a fact finding or, you know, data of data finding fault fixing sort of mission. Right. All right. So yes, Mercury retrograde, and that's part of the backdrop. That's going to be a whole evolving story over the course of the month that we'll come back to. But at least at the very start of the month, we we start with Mercury forming that exact trine with Jupiter and coming off of the um, second square with Pluto, right? Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, okay. the Sun and Mars. Sun and Mars and our first lunation, lunation. of the month. Yeah. Which which is tie together nicely. Yeah. Let me see if I can Yeah, that's a really interesting feature this month, isn't it? That Sun Mars plus the Mercury retro combo. Yeah. Well we have um you know, uh, so we have the Sun Mars conjunction, you know, the, the Mars at the heart of the Sun, which is a once every two year thing. That's like one day every two years. Um, and it's it overlaps almost perfectly with the new moon in Libra. There we go. So yeah, it's not uh, your typical Libra new moon. So this is a new moon at 13 degrees of Libra, and right when the moon catches up to the sun at 13 degrees, the sun is also conjoining Mars at which is also at 13 Libra. Yeah, there's about a half of a what was it half a degree between them with the sun um, trying to cover that, and so that certainly emphasizes, <laughs> right, that that kind of medium cycle once every two year Mars thing. Yeah, and and also it means that as soon as the moon conjoins the sun and begins separating, it immediately moves into Mars. So that's its next aspect, just immediately after the full moon or after the new moon. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a sharp quality to that, or a prickly something, or uh, you know, I was thinking about you know the idea of Mars being combust, which it is at the new moon, I think, um, or just being so you know in the darkness there, so close to the sun. The idea of like some irritation or annoyance or frustration that kind of bursts out, whether it comes out from inside you or it comes out you know from inside someone else, and you're kind of bearing the brunt of it, but it it. It adds a spicy quality to the new moon, which is not what we always get with the with the Libra new moon. Well, and we've also got to kind of double down on the uh, herbs and spices and play. Um, <laughs> that All Libra the chili. Moon, yeah. Uh, that Libra new moon, maybe some black pepper as well. Um, that, that Libra new moon is also ruled by, it will always be ruled by Venus and Venus is in Mars' sign, right? So we get a little little doubling of that. Something I've been thinking about a lot with Mars is just the idea of it speeding things up and things moving much faster than Mars, as opposed to Saturn, which slows things down. 
and Mars having that that heating quality, and that's where we're talking about the spiciness, but also just like making things move rapidly and sometimes the pace of things really picking up when Mars is is prominent in some ways. So do you think it'll do that combust? Because I kind of think that I think that like there'll be, you know, there'll be a few little, what should we say, like coals or embers, um, the little little hot nuggets that we have during that new moon. But it it'll be at the end of the month and November when Mars reemerges into into visibility into a sign where it's really strong, um, and we'll be able to trace the blazes back to the embers. But I guess the the feel I have with Mars because technically Mars is like super weak here, right? Uh, in its exile and completely overcome by the sun. Right. And there's like a seed there, but I, I, my guess is that it's something we're not going, it'll be like, I, there was, I think both of you use the term like itchy or irritating. There's like some little itch that may, you know, turn out three weeks later to be, you know, systemic poison ivy. Well, I was just thinking chicken pox, you know, like when, if you first get that little scratch and you just think, is it a bug bite? And then two weeks later, you're covered in, in your chicken pox, you know, in pox. Yeah. yeah. And pox is a bit more than that. Um, yeah, inflammation is a really good Mars signification and manifestation, but I think it's just that some of this is going to happen behind the scenes and is going to get started, um, like you said, with just a small ember, but it's still lighting or starting something, even if it's not visible and fully in view at that time, especially because that Mercury-Mars conjunction is just going to get so close immediately after the new moon there. Yeah, well, right. So Mercury, Mercury will return um to uh you know it, excuse me as mercury walks backwards it's um going to encounter mars immediately after encountering the sun mm-hmm. which is interesting right we have like sun moon mars and then we have sun mercury mars like all extremely close um you know basically in the same week right and mercury like mercury is going to return to visibility um much sooner than mars but like I imagine like a like a torch lit by by Mars in secret, but that 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 torch lit by Mars will be carried by Mercury into visibility, you know, within a week. Whereas it'll take Mars several more weeks to really, um, you know, display the uh, the 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 power and the fury. Right. So there's a a divisive quality to Mars, but it's being presented in a Libra context, which is usually a little bit more pleasant. And so you get the, you know, putting a controversial statement or slogan on a dress. What is, what are some other like analogies of, of that, like putting a controversial statement or trying to present a, a something divisive in an aesthetically appealing sort of manner in some sense? Can you think of other good examples? I mean, of the that? first thing that comes to my mind is Banksy, you know, which is another artist who, you know, presents things, you know, through art that is right. supposed to be thought provoking. Yeah, um, he does like a graffiti artist and he puts um graffiti in different places, like sometimes in in like city settings, uh, that is uh speaking something that it's like sort of conveying a message or a point, and sometimes it's like a divisive or sort of critique of of something especially like empire and things like that mm. yeah well and there's the, there's a whole art of I, I suppose it's comedy or a piece of comedy which is like being insulting in a way that is funny enough that it's fine mm. right right i think of there's um there's a segment in every 
um, season of RuPaul's Drag Race where um uh where they line up and and read each other right where it's it's all insult jokes but you see the people who fail or the people who just insult the other people like yeah but you're ugly it's like that's not funny it's just kind of mean but somebody else can imply that someone else is horrendously ugly right (laughs) um but if you do it in a funny way then it's great and everybody loves it right this is the yeah the uh, when they go to the library yeah, that's like um, uh, comedy battles where the two comics, yeah, are like, roast battles, yeah, yeah, ro- roast battles where they're like insulting each other. But it's like if you do an insult with a certain amount of artistic flair or cleverness, uh, it it hits differently than just insulting somebody you know without any sort of artistic flair. Yeah, yeah. Well, every the the rest of the room will be like, "Oh, that was great. You're funny." Right. Whereas you're if you're f- just mean. It creates like a dent in the energy and it's just kind of awkward and everybody takes like a half step away from you. Yeah. So cleverness or having some sort of art to it. You can, you can get away with saying things, um, very, that can sometimes be very harsh if you put them in a certain way, uh, that you might not be able to get away with otherwise. So, um, social decorum, maybe that's something that Mars and Libra is more, you know, careful about or is more accustomed to dealing with is social decorum. Yeah. I mean, I'm also thinking as you're both talking that that's one of the stumbling blocks for Mars while it's in Libra is to kind of try to follow the the rules of etiquette or engage social engagement and still be effective. And I think the relationship we're all exploring at the moment while Mars is in Libra is how can I not lose too much of my effectiveness and and still sort of, you know, toe that line with the the social etiquette or decorum? And sometimes we go too far to the peacekeeping or the not wanting to rock the boat that we actually lose the effectiveness altogether. And that's something to keep in mind. Um, yeah. Right. Well, like in a relational context, right, you may need to actually deliver – um, a criticism or a point of conflict. Yes. And if you don't do it directly enough, then it just becomes like kind of passive aggressive sniping, but without actually engaging the issue. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I would also add, you know, Mars, um, I, I find that the transiting position of Mars matters a lot for my, my motivation to like work out and do like high intensity physical things. Um, and that, you know, I often feel my motivation like wane when, um, you know, when it's in Libra or, you know, or Taurus, these Venusian ones, right? Like literally the other day, I've been very, very good um, the last two months about working out. And I went to go do my my scheduled like heavy bag time. And I was just like, and I felt the like the Venusian Mars wash over me. I was like, yeah, but I could just not do that. Wouldn't it feel awesome to just not do that. To not do that. <laughs> and so I actually, I took some of my own advice from the last episode, um, where as a sort of way of thinking about uh, Mars and Libra, I'd, I'd suggested capoeira. And so I've been doing like capoeira tutorials, which are, I, I did a, you know, Mars and Pisces, I, I grew up doing a kicking art. And so it's it's actually really fun to learn what are the same kicks, but not the same kicks. It's like, oh, that's like um, you know, this Taekwondo thing, but I'm, you know, planting a hand on the ground and the transitions are different. And so like that, like fun, uh, adding the fun and novelty and literally a more Venusian form, um, is actually made me excited to go do my workouts. 
That's so good. I'm not kicking anything, but I am looking (laughs) forward. Like now that I'm home and I'm a little bit settled, I keep saying to girlfriends, well, should we go to a yoga class together or can we make a time to do Pilates together? It seems like it's like we want to go and do something together. Not too stressful, not too sweaty, but we want to go together. Um, And so that's a little bit of that Mars in Libra coming through. That's totally right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like the buddy system for- Yes. You know, uh, it's more fun. You have somebody else to hold you accountable, right? Yes. That's that that sort of shadow, shadow, shadow of Saturn in Libra where it's exalted. It's like that mm. actually, that Venusian stuff can help you like keep your structure. Keep your commitment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, JG in the chat says, um, they mentioned the Southern phrase, well, bless your heart, uh, which is great. That went actually- through my mind when you were talking earlier. I'm like, oh, it's that like, oh, bless them that they say in the South. <laughs> But it's it's the opposite. It's something that sounds on the surface like it's a positive thing, but really oh, no, but they're it's saying, a yeah, they're like you're an idiot because um, yes. they're saying, well, bless your heart that you don't yeah. know any better or what have you. It's almost the most offensive thing you can say because um, you're actually saying the opposite of what you actually mean, which is interesting because that's Mars in its opposite sign. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So Mars acting oppositely, or having at least the appearance of acting oppositely, like the. Literally, like wearing a dress, but still, it's still Mars that's under that dress. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh my God. I'm like, where are we? Do, do we talk about the Mercury bit with Mars yet? Or well, let, let's, let's what do we need to backtrack one more, to? I, I think one more thing about Mars. So, this is a once every two year conjunction. Sun Mars. Like, okay. Yep. You know, this is the, you know, the, uh, it's sort of the Mars equivalent of a new moon where it's, you know, you don't see Mars in the sky. You, you know, you, you won't be seeing Mars for a while. Um, you know, the, there's a, a darkness, um, but it is a, how do I put this? Like, uh, you know, it's the darkness of being in soil, right? Like it's, it's a seed point. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, it, it, so it says, I think it should say something about the nature of the nature or source or origin point of conflicts for the next couple of years, right? Mm. This isn't just like Mars's normal transit through Libra. Like there's a there's a planting. Um there's a long term or medium term sort of planting that's going on here. Yeah. And uh the same day we should mention of that new moon in Libra, Pluto also stations directing Capricorn. So there's an a bit of an intensification of Pluto's significations, carrying over some of that energy that we were talking about with the Mercury retrograde um square Pluto when it's stationed. So some of that obsessive quality and that intensity and that taking really small things and like blowing them up out of all proportion as as a major theme. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's see. So the next day, literally the day after that new moon in Libra, which is Venus's sign, because Venus is like still in Scorpio then, but it departs and it finishes its almost month-long transit through Scorpio and Venus moves into the sign of Sagittarius, um, which is a little bit of a breath of fresh air before we get into some of the more serious like Scorpio transits at the very end of October. But Venus in Sagittarius is a bit lighter of a sign, I feel like, compared to Venus in Scorpio. I concur. It is, I would say it's a much lighter of a sign for Venus. Yeah. And that changes a lot of things this month because we have so many planets in the sign of Libra. So we've got the Mercury retrograde, the Sun, the Mars. You could think about there being distinct uh, 
tones to the Mars in Libra or to the Mercury retrograde in Libra, depending on where Venus is. And having Venus come out of Scorpio, where she's in detriment or in exile, and come into Sag, where she leaves whatever limitation or sort of distress that might be indicating, there can be it's not going to fix everything, but it adds maybe a lighter quality or a little bit more of a hopeful quality. I would say, yeah. Um, in addition to that, enthusiasm. Yes. Right. Venus and Sag is very good for enthusiasm. Yes. Good point. And, and enthusiasm both on a, how should we say, love, like in a passion way, but also in a like purposeful and meaningful way because it's Jupiter ruled. Right. That's like, this is worth doing. Right. It's fun and it's worth doing, like both kind of styles of benefic motivation. Mm. And it does indicate some sort of activity or movement. You know, if we think about a planet in Scorpio, a fixed water sign, both the element and the modality there are more. Uh, unchanging, if you like, whereas the fire and the mutable, there is more things are going now. They might not be going anywhere particular, but there is a sense that we're not, you know, we're not spinning our wheels bogged down in mud anymore. Yeah. And so I would just add that this, like all these qualities might take a few days to really kick in because Venus is right there on the dragon's tail for the first couple days, um, which brings a sort of depth and ties it. Uh, the, the, uh, it brings up some of the ongoing eclipse cycle questions and ties Venus and motivation um, and relationship into them briefly. Right, and then Venus clears the south node pretty quick, but um, you know that that first that first couple days might not be the you know, that sort of happy horsey energy that you get from Venus and Sag overall. Look, the moon actually conjoins Venus at two Sag, like exactly when Venus itself is conjoining the south node at two degrees of Sagittarius. And um, I had a, a transit of this at one point. Uh, well, I could actually mention it now, but like earlier this year, Kelly, when you were talking about taking a break over the summer, uh, transiting south node was exactly conjoining my Venus in Sagittarius in the eleventh house, and then there was like this, you know, stepping back or or decrease is how I interpreted it of, you know, a female friend in my in my life at that point, mm. which I thought was a really interesting manifestation of that transit and gave me a deeper understanding of what the south node can do by transit. Yeah, it's a pretty potent little critter, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the south node. Well, and it just has so much like mythology built up around it, but sometimes it can do very specific things. And just that notion of decrease. I remember another friend a few years ago that was in an astrological organization. They had a south node transit over an 11th house planet that was very important in their chart. And they stepped back from some organization that they had commitments to at the time from le leading that organization. And so again, just the notion of like stepping back or like a decrease of commitment in that area. Mm. Yeah, I would I would um, add to decrease. A lot of times when I see it, it's a little, it's slightly closer to disappearance mm. um, because it's not like it was at five and now it's at three, or was it forty seven and now it's at thirty two. It's like it was there or they were there and now they're not, mm. or there's you know like I was doing they were doing this and now they're not. Um, it tends to be like less, uh, what's the word? Yeah, like le less um, 
um, well, 40% less. It's just like, nope, not it's, doing it. It's that. either or all like, or nothing. It's off or on kind of thing. Yeah. And that yeah. might come back. Like that planet might pop back um, after, you know, the K2 is done with it. Um, but there's like, it's much more, I don't know. I, I just, I get that disappearance. I always imagine um, with like South Node Eclipse, like that, um, the, like that, that ring of fire or, you know, the, the redness of the moon, like creating a little gateway and things just disappear through that gateway temporarily. Yeah. And so that is really interesting. The fact that the moon is with Venus while she's on the South Node. But because I was nerding out about this earlier, we didn't actually get Venus on the South Node. Did we get that last time? We must have. Hang on. Yeah. This only happens like 18, every 18 years and maybe once or twice. Yeah, either once or twice. Yeah. Um, so you mean last year? Yeah. And I'm having animated? a vanishing in my own brain. Um Oh, we didn't get the moon with Venus last time. So this combo of the moon plus Venus with the south node, um, that double whammy. Of course, we had Venus on the south node in Sag last time. She was there 12 months ago. Um, yeah. yeah. So it's weird that Venus is hitting the south node. And there's this sort of decrease of Venus, perhaps, or disappearance at the same day that Mercury retrograde is conjoining Mars um, in, in Libra, in the sign of Venus. So there's this like combative or argumentative um, combination that's happening with the Mercury retrograde conjunct Mars at the same time that there's almost this obscuring of Venus temporarily while it's going through early Sagittarius. Yeah, there's um, you know when I just looking at that um, with um, two three planet stelliums. <laughs> um, yes, <laughs> you know, like that's within the same degree. Um, it's uh it's just kind of a lot to think about like there's a lot to like pull apart there yeah yeah well and usually because this is right after mercury can join the sun which is the halfway point in the retrograde cycle and usually there's a turning point where there starts to be an early sort of you start to get some resolution of the earlier issues that were set up at the beginning of the mercury retrograde you start to it's not fully resolved at that point um, but usually this is the turning point, and somehow the turning point involves those two things, both Mars and some um, aggressiveness or, or assertiveness or, or division, uh, but also Venus hitting uh, the south node there. Yeah. Yeah, The um, in many ways, the beginning of this Mercury retrograde is more pleasant. Right. Yeah, why, why is that? Like, Why does it get divisive right in the middle of it when Mercury is still still retrograde? Well, we'll find out. Interesting. <laughs> Fortunately, Mercury will hit that nice uh, Jupiter trine again. Yes, but not not for a couple of weeks after this. We're only at the tenth right now. You know, it's really funny. One of the the, the one of the events that happened. I have no idea how it's connected in any way whatsoever. But one of the events that happened a couple months ago that was exact on the day of the Mercury, the first Mercury Mars conjunction in Virgo. That was when that company um, OnlyFans just like announced that they were going to stop hosting sexual content altogether. And then it turned out to be just a huge disaster and their business almost imploded. And then they walked it back like a few weeks later. So it'd be interesting if there's some sort of similar thing here with this second conjunction of Mercury and Mars, either continuation of that or something archetypally similar. Yeah. Um, I mean, so here. there have to be divisive announcements, right? Right. Right, divisive announcements or like a mistake, a choice that's a mistake. But going back and reviewing something, 
perhaps that was a previous action. Um, yeah. And the other two components I would add is something that is premature. So either something happens that's a little premature that is related to an announcement then, or it is a dialing back of something that was announced previously that in hindsight was premature. And the extra component I want to add in from like a personal level, Mercury-Mars combinations can really agitate the mind or inflame the mind. So, you know, yes, this could lead to difficult or tense conversations and discussions, but it could also uh, be a time where something is going on that's really stressing you out, that you're that you're churning in your mind about it or you're obsessing over it mentally. Um, and so I think, you know, if we, if, you know, listeners have things they do to help manage their mental state or their mindset, these would be good things to be reaching for over this weekend um, as like preventative or maintenance type things. You may not get that manifestation of it, but I think it's one other piece to what's going on. Yeah. All right. So at this point, we're going to start getting into the second half of the month. And um, I wanted to mention our uh, sponsor this month, which is the Mountain Astrologer magazine. Uh, which is a magazine that both of you are familiar with because we've all three written articles and have a long history um, enjoying this magazine as like the main astrological magazine in the community that's been around for more than 30 years. They celebrated their Saturn return when Saturn went through Sagittarius when it was, I think, formed back in 1987. Um, so I actually did an interview with the, found the founder of the Mountain Astrologer magazine, Tim Terrigar, uh, several years ago before he passed away. That was in episode 149. And um, there has been a new team that's taken over the Mountain Astrologer in the past year or two, and they've been revising and expanding it and taking it in some new directions that I've been actually really excited about. They're changing it so it's going to be there's going to be five issues a year. So it's now going to be a quarterly magazine. They're going to change it to be all in color. So there's no more black and white. It's going to be all color for all images and ads and everything else. And they're going to do four quarterly issues plus one year ahead issue each year. So that's kind of an interesting and exciting um, transition to make. It's got uh, a bunch of great columns in terms of having regular columns, like forecast columns. It's got a student section. It has uh, a letters to the editor and letters to just like an advice column type thing as well as uh, a bunch of amazing articles on different branches and traditions of astrology. Um, I think we've both talked about what was the last articles that you've each written for Mountain Astrologer? Oh, it was a while ago. Yeah. Um, I know you did one in that music issue that came out a few years ago, Austin. Yeah, I did one um, on Marilyn Manson, mm. um, and that was – um, that was when I discovered one of these obscure Firmicus combinations, <laughs> right. where if the if the native hath um, Saturn in the ninth in a night chart um, with uh, was it with the moon in any way applying to it, um, then the person will be hated by um, by gods and emperors alike, um, <laughs> and will be a long haired philosopher and interpreter of dreams. Like all of which is true, um, and you know it's interesting that uh, since his career stopped being outrage, um, there have been a, a number of seemingly highly credible accusations um, about his uh, behavior, 
and that people are he's back to being hated by uh by uh, the gods and uh emperors alike as well as the the people and then i did one on sect a million years ago okay sect yeah sect uh good one that was funny good oh i was gonna say i think we must have been in the same issue austin because i think i wrote something I've got a vague memory of George Michael and father figure and something about George Michael's chart. So it must have been the same issue because I don't imagine they would have done two musical themed. Frank Clifford, I think, f- edited yeah, that one. Yeah. yeah. It was like, it was, wasn't it from the, wasn't it somebody from the 90s? I think at least that was my assignment. I wanted to do Leonard Cohen. They're like, <gasps> yeah, he's not really from the 90s. Like he was alive during the 90s. I but mean, that his chart is. It's one of my favorites. Yeah. That's a great chart. A full moon in Pisces. I mean, there's a bunch of other things in his chart. It's um, funny that you, you mainly rem- you remember the chart immediately of the celebrity and like what their main signatures are. Yeah, um, full yeah. moon on full moon. Yeah, yeah. And then he has a uh, the Mars opposite Saturn. Um, doesn't he have Saturn in Capricorn? Mars in Leo, or is it the other way around? Uh, um, yeah, Leo, a Leo Aquarius. Leo Aquarius. Yeah. Sorry, Leo Aquarius. Uh, yeah, th- that uh, Saturn in Aquarius. Yeah, it's nice. that's astrologer problems. <laughs> remembering, yeah, remembering. My it. my very first TMA article was actually like a short history overview, and it was published in 2008 when I had my Saturn return. Oh wow, which, which made sense. And that you was did the first- an overview of like the history of astrology. Yeah, it it was only like three or four thousand words, so it was uh, like a a Reader's Digest version, if you like, of some of the highs and lows of astrology through history. Hmm. But I remember feeling such a sense of kind of pride and achievement of like, oh my God, I'm being published in the Mountain Astrologer. It was you know, a big deal. It's a right. big deal. It's And I've had a subscription even prior to then, and it's followed me all around the world. You know, I was still getting my copies in Belgium and things like that. So it's a, it's a great magazine. Can't recommend it highly enough. Yeah, well, they've made that easier since they've got both a print version as well as an online version that you can get as a PDF and download to whatever device you want. Here's the table of contents of the latest issue and some of the different ad section, or different sections that they have, both like regular columns as well as other things. You can also just see there's like a professional directory where you can see different astrologers advertising services as well as like software ads. I always run an ad in there for the Astrology Podcast, and I know some listeners have found us there. So it's kind of a good place to just find out what's going on in the community and like see different types of astrology and, and learn about and sort of enjoy that topic. So I always wish that I had found it earlier in my studies. So that's why I often put it in my list of things you should do relatively early on in your studies to get a hold of a copy of The Mountain Astrologer and start reading it just because You'll get a much better sort of head start on what the community is actually like by reading that in the same way that you can a little bit from the astrology podcast. Yeah, so, well, you know, I, I've told this before, but um, I think maybe two years into being starting to get really interested in astrology, I found a, a like a two foot stack of mountain astrologers for a quarter apiece at a local at a used bookstore. So I bought like literally as much as I could carry for 20 bucks. And I just kind of like went through all of them. Nice. So Austin Kopic is partially the astrologer he is today due to TMA. Yeah, it was um, huge. All right. Well, people can find out more information about that at mountainastrologer.com and get a subscription and read it either online or in print. All right. Um, so that is our, our halfway point in our episode. And at this point, we start 
really, I, I know we've really been just talking about the first week of the month, but I, re- I feel like this month is separated into that like first week versus when all of the planets start stationing direct in the second and third week. So that gives us an interesting transition point. Um, first, talking about Saturn stationing direct in Aquarius on the 10th of October. And then only a week later, Jupiter stations direct also in Aquarius, and Mercury stations direct in Libra on the same day. So it's the the two week period of all of the direct stations. Mm. Yeah, this really feels like some kind of slow change of gears, or they're starting to inch forward on things that have been maybe treading water or not progressing as you might like. I, you know, I was thinking about how Jupiter and Saturn, like, of course, Mercury station direct is important, but we get a couple of those a year. And to have Saturn and Jupiter both station direct in the same sign, you know, just a week or so apart, it really feels like that Aquarius stuff that you've been working on or what that might signify in your chart, the longer projects or the slightly larger restructurings or um, consolidations, it's like, right, now we're going to start to slowly progress forward with putting those into play or, or building on those, I think. What are your thoughts on that, Austin? Well, I, I mean, I agree with what you just said. And I, I would, <clears throat> I suppose I'm a little preoccupied with um, Saturn stationing direct is now setting the stage for another Saturn Uranus showdown. Right. <laughs> right. Because yes. Uranus is uh is, is retrograde, right? So Uranus is backing up and when Saturn starts moving forward, it'll be a mutual application. Right. It'll be Which like we know, you know of what the ancients said of such things. <laughs> uh, what, what did they say, Kelly? <laughs> well I think doesn't Lily say something about how that's this is not good to have mutual application. I can't well, remember. Well it just the exact- means it's like they're both coming at each other. Yeah. Right? I mean, that is technically the worst car crash you can have is when both cars are speeding towards one another. Right. Um, so that that was the first thing that popped into mind. And then from Jupiter's perspective, I'm just, it's, you know, if I'm Jupiter, I'm just like, all right, let's get the fuck out of here and get yeah, back totally. to Pisces. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Where's the door to Pisces, right. basically? Like, okay, let's just finish. It's, it's like the, you know, if you're um, at like a more nine to five style job, or, you know, whatever your working shift and you're in like the last hour of your shift, you're like, okay, just going to get this done. And then I get to leave. Yeah. It's like 12 o'clock on Friday and you can't go yet. But like I'm going to wipe down my tables and clean my station and I'm getting yeah. the fuck out of here. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's such a big day. It's so, I always find it so interesting when we get those double ups, you know, Monday, October 18, Mercury stations direct, Jupiter stations direct, Mars decides to aspect Jupiter while it's stationing direct. It's it's that sense of like, okay, the wheels are turning. Let's move forward. We might have some shit to deal with, you know, ahead of us, but at least we're now going to take a step. Well, yeah, it's definitely a like, um, to whatever degree it's positive or negative, it's definitely a like, okay, now now for the next act, right? Yes. Now for the next episode. Intermission is over. They're ringing the bell to right. come back yeah. for the final act. For Jupiter, at least. Yeah, because it is Jupiter's well, last hurrah. Yeah, yeah. I think in a couple, I mean, in a couple different ways, right? Because that, that Mars-Sun um, that Mars Sun conjunction earlier is also like end of a thing, beginning of the a thing. thing. Yeah. Like there's a lot of- you know, it's with, I should say with the Mars and Libra, it's like kind of a, 
anxious intermission while the you know while, while backstage they change the sets and mm. get ready for you know the, the 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 upcoming drama and that's a really good point you know i mean the signs are obviously important but sometimes i find it helpful to kind of just strip it back and look at the planetary play of what's going on and you know, you made a great point earlier, Austin, where, you know, for Mars, this is like a new moon, basically. So we're resetting for the next two years. Saturn is resetting for the next chapter in Aquarius. He's going to do a whole nother station retrograde piece next year. But Jupiter is resetting for the last hurrah in Aquarius. So there is really this sense. That's what's so interesting about October is that individually the things are like, yeah, that's important and that's important. When you look at it collectively over this two-week band through the middle of the month, we're really like switching up our focus and and really looking to what's next and where are we going, less of a, you know, where have we been and what have we been doing. Yeah, totally. Something that's funny is on the last forecast, I think you were on, Kelly, you were talking about Jupiter going into Pisces and how it would bring back like the the moisture from what had just been such a dry and separating like year of everything being in Capricorn. And um, I really felt like that happened, especially like in the US with some of the stuff that happened when Jupiter went into Pisces and just like um, everyone was getting lots, at least lots of people are getting vaccinated and things were opening up again. And like the CDC announced like you can stop wearing masks. And there was this period for like a month or two there where it seemed like things were going back to normal. But then Jupiter stationed retrograde in late June, and the COVID numbers started shooting up again, and the variants, like the Delta variant, started coming out and becoming much more prevalent. And we had that return of Jupiter back into Aquarius um, at the end of July, where it seemed like it had to go back for some unfinished business. And I kept talking about how the original business that Jupiter did as soon as it went into Aquarius was the the vaccines like were released publicly back in December of of 2020 and ar- around the time of the Jupiter Saturn conjunction in Aquarius so i kept thinking that Jupiter returning to Aquarius had to be something additional about the vaccines and things like that um so Jupiter stationing should be the final push of i guess either the vaccination effort and things connected with it it looks like a news just came out today it says September 24th i got an email from my uh, healthcare place saying the Center of Disease Control and Prevention recommended that single Pfizer booster dose can be administered at least six months after completion of the Pfizer series, and then it lists people that are eligible for certain that. Certain criteria, so, yeah, certain higher risk categories where they're now recommending a booster shot. So, yeah. so that must be one of the things is that booster shots are now being rolled out and recommended, although there's also a debate recently in the UN where the US was criticized for and starting to roll out booster shots or recommend that when the rest of the world hasn't necessarily been vaccinated and that there were some countries that um, are still having trouble getting it. So then I think the Biden administration announced releasing a certain amount of, of doses to, to other countries or something like that. Yeah. And so that fits in really well to the, how can Jupiter help with Saturn business when they're both in Saturn's sign? Right. Um, and I think another thing that we can sort of add to that category, especially in the US, is um, like the passage or not of, um, of bills to, um, to basically help offset um, the damage from the last year and a half, whether that's, you know, a, a reinitiation or extension of eviction moratoriums 
or um, you know this large infrastructure package, which has a lot of sort of aid and rescue stuff uh, into it, or there you know there there are a, a lot of big things pending, right? And Jupiter's time in Aquarius, the remaining time in Aquarius, will basically be it's going to happen then or not. Um, a lot of these things, if they sit for another six months, they're just dead. And so it's that like that Jupiter question of what do we do about all of the, you know, the, the Saturnian affliction um, <laughs> that, that we've all lived through, right? Um, you know, which has affected um, so many people in so many different ways in different areas of life, right? And it's like, what do we do? Jupiter, it's like, Jupiter, what can you do? And we'll, we'll see. Yeah, well, and, and being an air sign and being an Aquarius and, and just sometimes the attempts to use technology in order to fix things, at least that impulse to do that, um, whether that ends up being right or whether there ends up being issues with that sort of as, as a separate thing. But um, yeah. But that's the style of fix. Yeah. Yeah. Technical, intellectually based type of fix because it's Jupiter in a very heady very thinking kind of sign. I think you would also mention in the pre-show chat that right now one of the things that's starting to happen is um, uh, the age limit going down and like uh, children starting to be vaccinated as well, right, Kelly? Yeah, it was interesting. I um, in my monthly membership subscription, I had talked about the first Mercury Jupiter trine aspect in late September. I, I didn't link it to a particular topic, but I was talking about how this can indicate some news that looks good or promising that is further to be refined or confirmed once we get through the whole three-part Mercury-Jupiter process. And one of my members pointed out to me that that was the day that some of the news was starting to come out about vaccine trials for under 12s because um, there are, I, I don't know exactly, you know, the US rules versus the Canadian rules, but in Canada, we're vaccinating down to the age of 12 right now, but but nothing for under 12. And so some of this was research saying that it's looking promising, but we've still got a few more weeks to run and the final sort of determination or recommendation would be made in early November, um, which I thought was really interesting when you think Jupiter trying to do some things using sciencey technology type things, um, you know, along those lines. Um, I'm sure there'll be other things. That was just one thing that a member pointed out to me that seemed interesting to align with that particular cycle. Yeah, well, and I'm really glad you brought in Mercury, right? Because we're talking about, oh, Jupiter's changing direction. And yeah. is, well, we're in this, you know, we're going to be in this Mercury retrograde cycle pretty much all month um, where Mercury is meeting or is having three trines with Jupiter, right? Yes. So whatever whatever's going on with Jupiter is going to get announced and maybe reannounced and thought and rethought. And, you know, like that's Mercury is going to probably make that very clear, whatever yes. that is. Yeah. Yeah, so the news announcements on those days, I think, will be very telling in that regards to the end of Jupiter in Aquarius. Yeah, and, and just in general, uh, I mean, thinking about it more personally for each person in terms of where Aquarius is oh. in your chart and what house yes. that, that falls in, um, where Saturn, when Jupiter left back in June and July, or actually it was earlier than that, uh, in May it went into Pisces, it sort of left Saturn to its own devices in Aquarius. And for some people, that coincided with a period of, of more problems or some problems coming to the forefront in that house, in their chart, in that part of their life. But then Jupiter returning uh, back to that sign was bringing a little bit of relief and a little bit of assistance in that part of their life 
And so Jupiter stationing this month in October should be the final phases of um, getting some of that relief put into place uh, so that Jupiter can actually move forward and, and have its job be finished by the end of the year. What did that make you think? You're thinking of some personal oh, like, yeah, examples? Yeah, just the personal examples of, yes, the Jupiter and Aquarius helping the Saturn stuff out. If that, if that had been weighty without Jupiter there for those few months when Jupiter was doing stuff in Pisces. The other thing that is a bit of a feature this October is that the Sun and Mars and Mercury in Libra are all linking over to Jupiter and Aquarius. And to think about in your own personal chart about the topics of your Libra house and the topics of Aquari your Aquarius house somehow trying to connect in a way where you can see, uh, I don't know, the trine element. Is there a little bit of support? Do you get a piece of information that makes, you know, from one area, you know, the Libra area of your life that helps the Aquarius area and so on? Uh, I think that's a really practical way for people to think about it because, of course, the Libra Aquarius um, trine aspect in each of our charts is different based on the house components there. Right. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, have you, either of you seen in client charts uh, instances of the Saturn stuff and some of the heaviness of that transit in certain people's lives? Because I, I want to mention it's like one of the things we saw in August, in the middle of August, when Uranus stationed in Taurus was an intensification of the significations of that planet, which in that instance was kind of like suddenness and like chaos. And, and one of the things was what happened with Afghanistan and just the downfall of the Afghan government as the US was pulling out. Um, so here we should expect to see a similar thing, which is one, we're talking about an intensification of Jupiter when Jupiter stations, but also a week before that with Saturn stationing, there may be an intensification of some of the, the issues or the lessons that Saturn's bringing to that part of each person's life as well. Um, I know there was one Commenter, I just read a comment this morning on one of the forecasts who mentioned Saturn um, stationing or Saturn transiting through Aquarius, which is their fourth whole sign house. They said that they lost a parent and they were having to deal with that and having to put some of the parents' affairs in orders, and that that's been very difficult over the past several months with Saturn transiting through Aquarius. But that when Jupiter came um, back into that sign, that um, they ended up finally receiving some small inheritance, which helped them a little bit to deal with putting their parents' affairs in orders and just get things under control. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. And there's a lot of just like, um, you know, with Jupiter and Aquarius, it's not the best place for Jupiter. It's not the worst place. Um, but in a lot of cases, the medicine available. Um, I mean that in like a larger remedial sense, um, but like the help available may not be enough to negate the difficulties, but it's sort of like, you know, it, it's actually the, the story you just told Chris illustrates it nicely. Like the inheritance doesn't negate the impact of the death, but it's something right. And <clears throat> You know, with Jupiter, sometimes I see people being mad at Jupiter transits because it didn't give them as much as they wanted. But very often you go through, it's like, yeah, but you got this for free or you got this help when you needed it. And no, it didn't like, it didn't, um, you know, it didn't uh, blow away all your problems, but it's like, it's something, right? And if you're working with Jupiter, um, of course, one of the primary things is gratitude. It's like, hey, this is uh, something's better than nothing. And I appreciate the something. Yeah, so sometimes you got to take what you can get. Yeah, um, to 
you know, what, whatever little bit of divine favor or mercy is available. Um, and, you know, I, I think we can kind of use everything, the, the fixed signs especially, can use everything available to, you know, get things in as good a shape as possible for the, you know, the fixed sign storm that comes in that starts at the end of this month, but really gets moving in November. Yeah. Oh, right. So yeah, this is all, there's the, it's not just the precursor, but also it's a little bit of the, some of the positive and constructive stuff before we start getting some real heavy, difficult things in the fixed signs, especially next month. Yeah. I would say this is a little time to work and rearrange, you know, rebalance things. Um, cause <clears throat> you know, balance is, uh, not static balance is based on, for example, what you're carrying. Right. You can't, <laughs> you don't, you don't maintain the same like weight distribution. If you pick something else up or you put something down, uh, I always think of like rearranging your backpack. Um, but like to kind of get things at least as balanced as you can for now, because the, you know, we're, we're going to, we're going into hard months. Um, and you know, not to do so with fear, but just like it's going to rain. Um, if I have an umbrella or if I don't have an umbrella, like what can I use to, to be less wet? Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm just going to enjoy it. Like it's spending an hour at the coffee shop, enjoying a nice latte before seeing the storm that's on the horizon, but at least having a, a nice month of, uh, some enjoyable things before some of that comes, you know, something that's funny talking about Jupiter returning back and going back for unfinished business. Um, what was the last forecast that you did, Kelly? What month was that? Was that in April that we recorded that for May? For May, I think so. Yeah. So that's really Is funny, that just because <laughs> was Jupiter yeah, in Aquarius? Was Jupiter in Aquarius. <laughs> so Jupiter was in Aquarius, and now it's retrograded yeah. back to where it was. Very literal. And you've I'm happy to be Jupiter. Yeah. <laughs> our, our our Pisces uh, rising friend with the Pisces stellium ruled by Jupiter has come back, um, yeah. you know, for to do this forecast with us and and return a little bit of that. Uh, warmth of Jupiter uh, to Aquarius, um, yeah. So that's great with Jupiter stationing right right now as well. That's that's it's fair. I love this. I like. Oh, this is like a gestalt in therapy. This is very like living it as we're talking about it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love stuff like that with retrogrades because it it happens, but sometimes it's very subtle. And I, I made like a tweet about this that you know one of the things that's tricky about studying astrological transits is you never get like a memo or like an email that tells you. This is exactly what that transit is cor correlating with in your life. Um, so sometimes it's very easy to overlook and never notice what the correlations are, um, just because it's not. It doesn't always like hit you over the head, even though it's something that you are experiencing in your life at, at certain moments. Um, you don't necessarily get like an explicit memo from God, like telling you exactly what that is. So you sometimes just have to like open your eyes and see what's happening around you and realize what it is. Oh yeah, I had a very literal experience of that yesterday. You know, yesterday was the Venus Uranus opposition and Scorpio's ninth house for me, and we had some tradespeople coming into the house to do some work, which we knew because we had planned it, we've been waiting weeks, we had to get our heating system, you know, we had to do some serious maintenance there. And I just thought, you know, we have a boiler system, it's in the basement. That's where the team of people will be working in the basement. 
But of course, they had to check out the units in various parts of the house. So they actually spent most of the day working in my office and my husband's office. So unexpectedly, first thing in the morning, we had to like pull our stuff out so that we could work elsewhere in the house while they got on with their activities. And both my husband and I were just all day like, how did we not realize this was going to be, you know, such an upheaval. We've got the drop cloths everywhere and hammering and banging going on. And I had to te- I had to do uh, one of my live Q and A's with students yesterday, which is a teaching thing. So I, for the first time ever, I'm doing it on my couch downstairs with the cat climber in the background, like, you know, whatever I could grab quickly. So, I mean, you know, it was a passing thing. It was just Venus opposing Uranus and, and then it was done, but it was just a very literal thing. And as you, when you were saying, Chris, like sometimes you have to look around. It was literally at 10 o'clock yesterday morning. You're not going to be able to do your work in your office, Kelly. So quickly, you know, um, relocate. So it would be nice if we got more specific instructions coming in. But at least I had in the back of my mind, it is Uranus, Venus Uranus day. It's disruptive. Just go with it kind of thing. Yeah. Sometimes having that background knowledge going into it really helps and can help you to contextualize and just be okay with things and understand the sort of meaning or purpose underlying it. Totally. All right. So back to the week that we're looking at, the week that Saturn stations direct, the intensification of that, we get a nice Venus-Saturn trine on Wednesday the uh, 13th, uh, which I, I'm a fan of. I, um, that's a sextile. That, yeah, that, that's oh, not a trine. Oops, sorry. That's a typo then. Slight typo, uh, but easy fixed. That's a good point. Yeah, because Venus is going through um, Sagittarius, so it's going to yeah. sextile Saturn. Nonetheless, still a pretty decent aspect. I'm a it's fan. A nice of little aspect. Yeah, Venus. <laughs> that sounds like a yeah, a nice little aspect. So uh, that week, and then. <laughs> uh, all right. So the next aspect after that would be the Sun trine Jupiter. Is that correct? Also, I don't know. I don't know what to say. That's another. Is it just a sextile aspect. as well? No, nice, no, it is a trine. Aspect. It is a trine. It's a okay. nice big aspect. Oh, a nice big aspect. There's there's actually like three nice aspects that week. Yeah, the Sun trine Jupiter and then the Venus sextile Mercury on the weekend. And that'll help. That Venus sextile Mercury will help cool Mercury off a little bit. So much. um, You know, from all that Mars exposure. Yeah. Yeah, so that's helpful. Um, Then we get into Monday the 18th, of course, and the Jupiter station simultaneous with the Mercury direct, which... I can't help but think that that's offering some resolution to some of the Mercury retrograde problems from earlier, not just at the start of the retrograde square Pluto, but also um, the conjunction with Mars that happened around the midpoint. And just having both Mercury and Jupiter stationing simultaneously seems kind of kind of nice. I think it, yeah, it kind of clarifies the way forward. Sure. Um, all right, so that's kind of bringing us to our second lunation of the month, which is the full moon in the sign of Aries, right? Yes, it is. 27 Aries. Let me pull up the chart for that. There we go. So, moon opposite to the sun at what, 27 degrees of Aries? Yes. All right, there we go. So moon opposite sun, moon is in Aries ruled by Mars. Mars is still pretty closely conjunct the sun from 23 
Libra to 27 Libra. And all of this is kind of squaring Pluto there down at 24 degrees of Capricorn, right? Yeah, Mars is very tightly squaring Pluto and completes that the next day. And the, you know, and, and of course the moon is ruled by that Mars. Yeah. This is um, not the most constructive version of this Mars and Libra that we've been trying to maintain some balance with. Yeah, so there's more of an intensification of the Mars principle. Uh, sometimes, like Mars Pluto combinations to me are like intense, like rage and like explosions yeah, of rage. Yeah, like pressurized outbursts of Mars. Yeah, because it, it tries to keep it in and tries to internalize it and hold it in and hold it in and hold it in, but the pressure keeps building up. And then eventually, once it starts to let out, it just all explodes at once. Yeah, there's. Um it's not the most peaceful <laughs> full moon. And you know, that's one that's interesting, right? Because the new moon was right on top of Mars. And then this full moon is Mars ruled with Mars still there opposite and with a little Pluto square thrown in the, uh, I mean, Jupiter, uh, now direct Jupiter and Aquarius, um, is doing some work there, like yeah, helping to, you know, as should say, provide a constructive medium for that martial energy. But there's, you know, that, that pressurization from Pluto is real. Kelly, what do you think about this one? Yeah, I mean, I I totally agree. You almost took the well, not took the words out of my mouth. Out of my mouth, I thought similar things that both the lunations this month are very Marsy in their tone, um, and this one, I mean, a full moon in a fire sign has a bit of a dramatic quality, so it does feel like things bursting out or you know bubbling over, and it, it, I wonder about like sneak attacks or things coming out of, mm. you know, the unexpected with Mars in that, you know, overcome by the sun placement there that it's, it bursts out and you didn't see it coming kind of yeah, thing. Especially with all that kind of like Mars burning just below the surface that we've had yeah. like up to this point this month, that makes it like, like sneak attack makes yes. a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's been churning in the weeks leading up and it's like full moon come out. And I think you were talking about with the Pluto aspect there as well, with the Mars-Pluto component, that just makes me think more about I mean, whether it's a discovery or something, but that it adds that, you know, hidden to seen um, or being seen and then vanishing kind of theme that we were touching on earlier with Pluto coming through. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, so, and this is, it looks like the day before or so, maybe a couple of days before the, the Mars Jupiter trine completes just as Jupiter's stationing direct, which is usually a very effective like aspect for getting things done. Um, but it's just weird that Mars immediately goes into that square with Pluto immediately afterwards. Yeah. Well, and this is, this is such a, this is such a kind of unusual Mars right both because it's like it's in it's in uh it's in libra right it's detriment and it's under combustion but then we have these other but but it's ruling the full moon and it's trying jupiter but it's square pluto like there's this is uh i think this is a a difficult one to like wholly get your mind around uh, ahead of time but maybe just like knowing that it's kind of weird and kind of under the surface but kind of popping up and um, you know, maybe that in of itself is just a useful thing to recognize. 
Mm. It's nuanced and complex. Yeah, it's it's not just like, hey, it's Mars and Aries. Um, although Mars will become considerably less subtle soon, right? And what's interesting about all this kind of complicated, maybe subtle, maybe not subtle Mars um, is that what comes next is Mars and Scorpio, which is just, you know, um, brute strong um, and will be hitting that Saturn Uranus um, square through a lot, you know, activating that through a lot of uh, November, right? So whatever is kind of churning and bubbling um, becomes, and, and maybe somewhat elusive, becomes um, rather rather forthright and direct soon enough. I mean, I actually had a sporting analogy that popped into my mind when you were saying that, that brute force, Austin. I don't know if anybody knows the sport of rugby, rugby union or rugby league. This is a, a big type of game that's played in Australia and, and the UK. A and lot, lot of brute force. There's a lot of brute, yeah, when you said brute force, and I was thinking about the scrum where the ball comes through and nobody seems to know where the ball is when you're a spectator, where the ball is like, you know, the, the, the scrums are packed down on either side and the ball's coming through underneath and all of a sudden somebody grabs the ball and I, I'm actually imagining um, a very famous a New Zealand um, football player, rugby player, Jonah Lomu, who was very talented, but, you know, could be any, probably New Zealand. New Zealand's one of the best countries at this sport. And, you know, they finally get the ball and then they just run and it's just brute force where the other players are trying to tackle them and pull them down. But the power, this is Mars and Scorpio, it just, nothing stops it. It's like a steam train. It just goes until it hits the try line and, and down the ball goes. No, that's really good. That, um, that, that makes a lot of sense. There's actually a former uh professional rugby player who's the champ of the 145 division in uh in the ufc who's fight, yeah alexander volkanovsky who's fighting tomorrow um but you know that, that's a really good point is sometimes you'll see a contest where um where somebody has the superior technique and they've done the right move but their opponent just literally powers through just the it. power it's like no, no yeah. that was perfect you did the you know you did the the, the button presses in exactly the right order and this and that. But in, you know, in reality um, and not in video games, like some people just power through stuff that they shouldn't be able to do. Like yeah. there's a, a great fighter um, named Derek Lewis and people will do, have, you know, will do these like perfect takedowns and grappling. And he will, in his own words, just stand the fuck up. Yeah. He's and just, just powerful. It. And there's yeah. some technique, but mostly like he can just stand up in a way that other people can't. Yeah. Yeah, and that's reminding me to continue our sports analogies today. Um, it's astrology and sports um, of the tennis player Serena Williams, who was never perhaps the most technically brilliant tennis player, but had a quality of strength and endurance that allowed her to really dominate for many years in her, in her field. And that's yeah, that well, Scorpio. And yeah, Kelly, you and I have had uh, some some talks about um, becoming more aged as we're almost exactly the same age <laughs> yes. and how, you know, we both had these habits of just kind of powering through completely unsustainable workloads. Yes. <laughs> um, and that eventually, right. Eventually you're like, Oh, I can't just power through. I just can't everything. push anymore. Yeah. But, you know, it's but a strategy for a period of time, but then yeah, it might cost yeah. you something on the way through. Yeah, yeah that, that's really good. Uh, the vitality component of Mars, that it does have this vital component, especially that's especially notable when there's an issue with Mars or when you have something that's like sapping Mars's energy, like a Neptune, hard Neptune aspect, for example, is a good one for 
sometimes loss of vitality for reasons that are unclear. Um, but I, d- I did the Mars episode earlier this month with Sylvie Ausland, and that was one thing that I wish that we had emphasized more is just that vitality notion. Yeah, it's a it's something I feel very um, bodily um, as Mars goes through different signs. Hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. So powering through is one of our uh, sort of keywords for that full moon there that's happening on the t- Wednesday the twentieth, where we have Mars square Pluto, but also Mars trine Jupiter, and then um, later in the week we have the beginning of Scorpio season when the Sun moves into Scorpio on the twenty third of October, which brings us into the home stretch, which is. Um, some aspects that Venus makes to Neptune first on the 26th, the square with Neptune, and then Venus sextiling Jupiter on Thursday the 28th, uh, just before we have Mars ingressing into Scorpio on the 30th of October at the very tail end of the month, which just completely takes us into that latter, latter part of the year. Yeah, so this is interesting, right? This is the lead-in to that you know, sort of full power Mars, Saturn, Pluto, or excuse me, Mars, Saturn, Uranus configuration with a bunch of other planets attending. Um, and it starts with the sun, right? Like, because the sun will also square Saturn and oppose Uranus and Mars is, you know, a little bit behind. Um, but we like start like that, um, that Saturn Uranus starts getting juiced up again, the second that the sun moves into Scorpio. Um, and then when Mars moves into Scorpio, it's like, okay, you know, like let's, let's, you know, let's get it on, let's do this. Um, but there's like this little note of, I don't know, sweetness or like, <laughs> uh, uh, I don't know, like eating a, cor- yeah, eating a corn dog before the violence begins with that <laughs> Venus Jupiter. It's like, oh, that's so nice. The Venus like Jupiter a- is worth a special mention. I agree. Yeah. It's so, it's yeah. so sweet and like positive yeah. and it's like, um, I don't know. It, it's like the opposite of um, like a consolation prize. It's 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 like because um, it, it happens before rather than after. But it's right. like oh, it's at least giving us a little bit of ease into um, you know what what I think will be um, the most challenging month of the year. Um, yeah, I mean the fact that it's Mercury or that Venus is squaring Neptune around the same time means there's a probably an illusory quality to it or something that's. Maybe not fully real or not very well grounded. Yeah, well, but that's okay. Like pleasure doesn't have to be fully grounded in, you know, three um, D reality. Sure. Yeah, that was I did the Neptune episode with Laura Nelbandian, which I may release next month or or the following month. But just talking about sometimes Neptune and sometimes people need something to believe in or to idealize. And sometimes that can motivate you to keep going where you might not otherwise. Like sometimes, mm. even if something's an illusion, it, it can be a good motivating factor, and it can be something that's like necessary in people's lives. Yeah, I mean, haven't you ever had like woken up from like a really beautiful dream, and it just like sets you on a nice course for the first part of your day? Like you know that that didn't literally happen, but it's like, oh, that was a really nice experience, mm. right? In the same way that, you know, watching a movie or reading a book, you, you're kind of in another world. It might not be real, um, but it, it transports you and it, it makes you feel something that you wouldn't get in touch with otherwise. Yeah, movies are great. Neptunian escape and mm-hmm. are built on that that principle of um, 
you know, having to suspend disbelief and and the effectiveness of a filmmaker or a director sometimes is directly tied into whether they do a good job being able to allow the audience to suspend suspend belief. Yeah. Or disbelief, yeah. I should say. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, well, that takes us into the very, very last aspect of the month, which is um, Mars ingressing into Scorpio, which it does on the 30th of October, um, beginning a couple month trip through that sign where it's going to eventually square Saturn and then oppose Uranus. And then we also start getting eclipses again when we get into eclipse season, and then Venus like stations retrograde and all sorts of other stuff that we talked about in our year ahead report, which I can't believe we recorded way back in December and how long ago that was now. You know, this year's actually gone by really quickly for me. Yeah, I agree. That, yeah. Um, two years ago feels like three 15. lifetimes ago, but yep. one year ago feels like last week. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's that's a very true. weird time warp. Right. But so one, just one note about Mars, just from a strictly planetary level, um, Mars will reappear um, oh, yeah. in the sky in Scorpio. Right. right. Mars is invisible for most of October. Okay. Um, but we'll we'll start seeing that little bit of red light just before dawn uh, in Scorpio, like the middle of the month or something. Yeah, uh, I mean, so I don't. Know. Mars is bit, you know. Chris. There. Oh, there, there. Okay, I beg your pardon. Yeah, I think yeah. about ten for Mars to like. You know, depends on your the the condition of the sky. Like Venus is a lot brighter, so Venus will be visible with less degrees from the sun. Yeah, but yeah, it's you know, yeah. Like I think once once you get ten degrees, you should be able to see like actually see some red Mars. Okay. And that'll be, but it'll be a like waking up early Mars, super early before dawn kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, so maybe I'll switch my schedule. <laughs> Just rise with Mars every morning. Blood for the blood god. So one of the things that I think is important here is that the fixed signs which have got some resolution and some relief during the month of October with Saturn and Jupiter stationing in Aquarius, um, suddenly we start getting some speed and some heat and a lot of movement and activity. In the fixed signs and the creation of some tension, which starts building at the very end of October and is going to build up during the course of November as Mars starts hitting those other fixed sign planets. So, this is the beginning of a return to uh, some tension in the fixed signs and tension in that part of our life that's, that's represented by those four signs. Yeah. Yeah, it's. Um... <laughs> I mean, I, I did not like July. <laughs> so. I, I think this is going to be. Um, uh, I think this. I think November will be. Will be. You know, July after doing. You know, uh, cycles of steroids for three months. Well, and remember, it wasn't just July, but also the. the so that was the last time Mars was in a fixed sign, and we had the Mars Saturn opposition, but then. The year opened with Mars in a fixed sign, which it went in on January 6th when Mars went into Taurus. Mm. Um, so that was the first preview of that was the January 6th events, and that was Mars going into the same sign as Uranus in some of the instability and, mm. and things that were happening with that. Yeah. 
And the difference this time around is that Mars has some great dignity in Scorpio, which it didn't have obviously in Taurus and didn't have in Leo uh, in the middle of the year. Yeah. It's also, it has the upper hand over Saturn. So suddenly Mars is the one that's in the superior sign and um, is able to sort of boss Saturn around a little bit more. Which is also different. Well, I don't, yeah. Had. I don't think Saturn will take too kindly to that, but it's certainly in a position to Saturn's- try. Saturn's going to slap it right back down. I imagine oh. it feels like Saturn would, although this is going to be the the overcoming versus the superiority. I guess. Well, this is you know, so this is um, to a certain degree a callback to um, last fall or last uh, Q four last year, um, where it was Mars with a lot of dignity squaring Saturn with a lot of dignity, and so we're back to Mars with a lot of dignity squaring Saturn with a lot of dignity, um, and you know it's. Neither one is in, like, Mars has the waking up earlier advantage, um, but neither is in, like, a particularly weak position. And they're, you know, kind of both being fucked with by Uranus. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So in the Uranus episode, Rick Levine and I are talking about some of the meanings of Uranus and, like, the rebellion and rebelliousness and uh, sort of chaos and unexpected things. Uh, and just some of the core meanings of Uranus and how astrologers discovered some of those just through what was happening at the time that Uranus was discovered back in the 18th century, which was like the American Revolution and the French Revolution. And one of the things that's weird about the French Revolution is just how um, really chaotic and extreme it was at times and how far um, sometimes the revolutionaries went in a certain direction when pursuing you know, their, their agenda or their goals at the time. Yeah, and even the other the American Revolution wasn't quite as um head choppy. Like that wasn't um that I'm sure that was chaotic. I mean, it was basically like fighting a guerrilla insurrection against um, you know, a superpower. Um and then like you know, like sort of tentative alliances with European countries against the British and like, you know, uh, I'm sure as a person at that time, um it was incredibly chaotic. It wasn't like we're going to war and we're going to march. We're going to march our American army onto the field versus the British army, and then we're going to have it out. And whoever wins gets to you know whatever. Yeah. Well, so so part of the, I guess part of the point then is some, sometimes those things, revolutions and other things, are messier than people realize going into it. And sometimes maybe um, the ideal of breaking away from something it looks mm. cleaner than the actual reality. The, the of reality. Like, yeah. Because once you're in it, you can't kind of stop. You can't say, oh, I think we won't do this now. Once you're engaged and the forces are moving, you do have to see it through. And it, then it becomes a little bit of an endurance situation. Yeah. Well, and also that there's a weird social thing that once that ball gets rolling, that sometimes there's a social thing that reinforces and people in groups take things further than they might do on their own. Oh, yeah. Well, I, that's actually a really good framing for like strong Mars, strong Saturn with Uranus, you know, um, in there for shits and giggles. Um, is that neither Mars or Saturn is, is um, a, in a in a position to back down, right? And it's like that's um, you know that that's a war of attrition, right? Because not, neither is just going to you know no, neither is getting KO'd in the first or second round. Um, and so the question is like, do you want to set yourself up to? be part of that. Do you want to do trench warfare in November? Like be be careful about like, you know, what conflicts you you join. 
One thing I came to appreciate in much more visceral detail after our time in Europe was trench warfare because we were we took some time to visit some of the battlefields of World War One and World War Two to get and and to go through some of the museums where they um, would attempt to kind of recreate and share the experiences. And when one thing I learned is that when you end up in one of these protracted battle type things, what it can sometimes come down to is supply chains and supply lines that you can only dig in and fight for as long as you are able to, you know, feed and clothe yourself uh, or your your teammates or your fighting mates, your army. And so that is going to be really interesting as we see different things socially and collectively kind of get bedded down into, you know, we're going to, you know, this is the hill I want to die on. This is the the thing I'm going to choose to stand for. And then how do things like supply chain or access to resources affect that? Right. Well, on a personal level, that harkens back to what we were saying about Mars and vitality. Yeah. Right. And then, you know, what you and I were talking about, which is like, yeah, you can power through. Powering mm-hmm. through is never a sustainable strategy. Mm-mm. It may be the right strategy for a particular period of time, but it's always, you know, that's never, uh, that's never a long-term solution. And you always run out of gasoline at some point, which is of course, half the reason that the, uh, the, the Americans won the battle of Ardennes is because the, <laughs> the Germans ran out of gas for their tanks. So they had these awesome tanks mm. that they literally just had to leave behind because they had no gasoline. Yeah. Wow. Thank God. Yeah. But, you know, I love yeah. that analogy, Kelly. And I think that's a great piece of advice to leave people on for October, which is get your supply lines supply in, chains order. in order yeah. <laughs> in, in October um, while you can and prepare f- to bunker down for the protracted sort of war between the malefics that comes up uh, in November. Mm. Right. So this is don't be like the Nazis. <laughs> Right in general, but also so many think reasons. about your That's supply advice. It's another reason to not be like Nazi. Oh my gosh, as if we needed more. Yeah, yeah. Just just in case you weren't sold. I mean, another little thing is occurring to me, and this is like maybe the Venus Neptune or Venus Jupiter piece. One thing we learned, we yeah, we went to some of the beaches where there were um, invasions. Normandy beaches. I'm very bad with names and details when it comes to these things. One thing we learned is that one way that the French resistance and the resistant movement communicated was through poetry that was read over the radio at different points in times. And there were, you know, certain poems indicated certain uh, things were going to happen from a military strategic or action perspective. Um so I don't know how that fits into the end of October, but you know there could be a little bit of poetry that comes in to help <laughs> with planning or preparation. Well, I'd say that's there. There's a with all these planets in Libra, like there's a fair amount of poetry on offer before the Mars and Scorpio games begin, right? Because like balance, like equilibrium and balance, um, both on a physical level as well as like on an emotional and life level. Like there's always like a certain elegance to balance. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And um, and also with Libra season having just begun, just the change of seasons and the new energy that that um, comes with it in terms of moving into a new phase and initiating something that's new that eventually, once you get to the fixed sign of Scorpio, 
um, you just have the the continuation of something that was already started earlier and having to really um, like you're saying bunker down in some sense in order to carry forward and bring to completion some of those those previous things. But a good deal of of this month of October with a lot of that Libra energy is the initiation of some of those new things. Yeah. Yeah, like looking back, looking over November with both of you, uh, or excuse me, looking over October, like the the uh, uh, the larger themes in reference to where we're going next become really have, have become much more clear to me. Like it's so obviously like okay, things are kind of getting ready for the next thing, but the next thing isn't here. Got a little room to rearrange, a little room to work, get a few things in order. And that's a beautiful point too, Chris, about the equinox, the Libra equinox, because that's really kind of setting the tone from now through to the end of December when we have the solstice. So we're kind of going into this um, energetic chapter in terms of the soul's, the sorry, the sun's journey through the sky and how that is is marked off as its own separate thing. Right. Yeah. I just, um, you know, the sun just went into Libra here in the past few days, and just I've noticed very. Distinctly, um, you know, the temperature starts changing. It starts getting cold out. Uh, the days are obviously getting shorter. At this point, the summer is over, and even the leaves on the trees are suddenly starting to change already. So it's it just surprises me sometimes, like how rapid sometimes that change starts setting in and, and becoming noticeable. All right. Well, I think that's it. I think we did it. I think that is it for the astrology of of October. Uh, thanks a lot for for joining me for this today, guys. This was amazing. Yeah, Thank it was you. great. It was, it was really nice to have you back on, Kelly. Thank you. Yeah. It was really fun. Oh my god, it was just like old times. Thank you. Well, you know, maybe after you get your book out, we can lure you back for at least an episode. Or two. <laughs> you two are very persuasive <laughs> for for old times. <laughs> for, for old times, old times sake. sake. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, in the return of our, our Jupiter friend, I love that discovery of Jupiter coming back. No Aquarius and Kelly coming back onto the podcast. Uh, to join us, what do you both have coming up, Kelly? In the near future, you have your your YouTube channel, and I noticed you put like one video out like a few weeks ago. Are you gonna? <laughs> I've are been you very slack. Yes. Okay. I'm, I'm getting some. Um, I've got a plan together for October, so hopefully we're back to more. I usually put a short video out each week, uh, and then I've got. Uh, I'm doing a webinar in. November on just a bit of a traditional look at the nodes in astrology. Um, because some of my teaching students are like, what do I do with this if we're not doing, you know, the the EA model? Uh, and I'm also teaching a new course in November called Combining Transits and Progressions, where we're going to get into some of the real practical application of using those two techniques together, which I haven't taught before. I've taught them separately, but not this this one training together. Uh okay. yeah. And then and you, also you have gearing a up monthly yeah. forecast, right? Yeah, you do like I, a monthly private thing. Yeah, so it's a subscription based. It's similar to like a Patreon, but it's it's run through my website, kellysastrology.com. and I do a video each week where I look at every aspect that's happening that week and just give a short take on, you know, what to expect, basically. Nice. Uh, yeah, and that's been going for a while. We have a really good group of subscribers. We do a live Q and A every quarter, so usually around the solstice or the equinox. Uh, which is something that's been building over the last few years, and that's that's really lovely to do. Awesome. Well, people can check out your website for more on that, which is uh, kellysastrology.com, right? Yes. Thank you. And new photos will be coming 
in the next month or two, I need to update my picture. You know how that happens where you see people and you're like, oh my God, your photo doesn't look like you anymore. So anyway. Yeah. I, I'll I, always, yeah. I, I always grew up like not laughing about that, but noticing that now I've, I've become that. Now I understand. Yeah. It gets away from you. <laughs> right. Yeah, it does. Time. Uh, well, and there's Austin. also that like, oh, I don't know. I look like shit. Maybe I'll like, you know, um, take care of myself for a month and then we'll do photos. Right. And then it's a month later, be like, eh, uh, I don't know. That like 2014 picture of me when I was actually healthy. Um, we'll, we'll just maybe stick with that. Right. Yeah. Uh, good yeah. times. Uh, Austin, <laughs> what do you have coming up? Um, so, uh, Sphere and Sundry has a release, a relief, relief, some relief to release <laughs> um, any moment now. Um, uh, I don't have the exact day, but the, uh, the, um, Codename Quicksilver Tongue series should be oh. out any, within maybe by the time this is, is publicly released, maybe a few days after. I know that there's, you know, there are whirrings and stirrings inside the factory. It's getting ready. And um, I am teaching my classes and I'm trying to get things set up for my year one self paced thing. There have been some complications with getting the platform to do what I want. Um, and now we're in Mercury retrograde time. So now I will work through all those. Um, so as soon as I can, I've got a, I've got a few like uh, Libra's my fourth. So a few like platform um, foundational, foundational things I need to kind of rearrange. Um, but that'll, that that's happening. Nice. So that's exciting. Uh, for the Sphere and Sundry stuff, of course, that's spherensundry.com. And what is your personal website URL? It, it is austincopic.com. Brilliant. All right. People can look that up for more information about that. Um, and Austin, you and I will be back next month for a forecast, uh, undecided co-host guest yet. A but mystery we'll have something- guest for October. Yeah, we got we to gotta figure out <laughs> somebody who will, who's going to do uh, Doom Month with us. Yes. I was thinking about that. I was <laughs> like, right. that's, not, that's not a job for everybody, but there's probably someone that it's the perfect job for. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, we'll figure that out here pretty soon. Um, as for me, I just basically just wanted to mention, I have, always have to mention I wrote a book because um, it's a great book. And it is. It goes, it, well, it actually covers that and my course on Hellenistic astrology, I actually cover all of the basics of Western astrology and take you through the basics up through intermediate and advanced techniques. So if you want to learn how to do birth charts, that is a great way to do it. And one really great thing that just happened, I just got it yesterday, is um, the Russian translation of my book actually just came out, and I just received the print version in the mail last night, wow. and it's amazing. It's the very first time my book has been translated into another language. There's a few other um, people that are working on other translations into like Japanese and uh, Portuguese and a few other languages, but this is the first one that's actually happened, and um, he actually did a really, really good job. I was super impressed and super happy to um, to work with the translation translator of the book, whose name is Mikhail Medved, and um, you can find out more information. I put a link to his website um, on my website at hellenisticastrology.com/book, and if you just scroll down the page, you'll see a little link where you can find out more information. If you happen to speak Russian or um, know any astrologers who do, you can get him a copy of the book. He already sold out the first print run; it was so. Popular, but he's going to do a new print run soon, and he's taking orders. Um, so, yeah. So just check out hellenisticastrology.com 
slash book for more information about that, and you can get a copy yourself. Either oh, if you amazing. speak speak Russian. Oh, no. 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 Yep. All right. I have yep. some bit. <laughs> very clever. I see what you did there. Hey, um, I know uh, this is very far into next year, but only I just want to grab you both briefly on this because obviously won't be here again. Um, or not until then, at least, I'm sure. Um, I've seen the preliminary schedules for some of the conferences happening next year. Um, you guys, I, Austin, I saw your name at one and haven't looked at the other one in detail, but I think we're all going to be at one together next year. Norwalk, I'm, I'm signed up. Yeah, I'll be at Norwalk uh, too. Chris, are you going to be there? Um, I actually just had to pull out just because my health has gotten worse in the past few weeks. So I, I'm not going to be speaking at Norwalk or, or the ESAR conference. I'm definitely going to be at the ESAR conference because okay. it's happening here in Denver. So I'll make an appearance and hang out with people. And um, Norwalk is kind of undecided, but I know both of those are actually going to be amazing conferences. I know Lisa's speaking at both and also doing a workshop. And it's going to be amazing having astrologers there in person again. Uh, you know, a group, the group that was organizing ESAR came out a few weeks ago to Denver, and I got to hang out with like Sam Reynolds and Laurel Nalbandian <gasps> and Nicholas Pullimanakis and a few other people in person. And it just felt so good to meet up with other astrologers in person again. I think those conferences are going to be really amazing. Yeah, I think they are. That's great. Well, we'll look yeah. forward to. Uh, so, so, Austin, I'll see you at Norwalk, and Chris, you'll be at ESAR. For sure. Yes. Right. Okay. For sure. And so um, Norwak is norwak.net, I believe, right? I think so. I'd have to quickly double check. Okay. And then people yeah. can find out more about the ESAR conference yes. by, I think it's esarastrology.com. So those are going to be the two big major in-person astrology conferences happening next year. And um, yeah, it'll be good. Are you giving like keynotes and workshops and everything, Kelly? I'm doing um, a keynote and a workshop at Norwalk, but I, I noticed that uh, Austin is doing quite the workshop at uh, Norwalk as well. Oh, yeah. It's going to be busy. It's going to be um, huge. I'm, I'm doing the, the Kelly Surtees schedule of uh, workshop and two lectures. Oh, you wow. go. But your workshop is on like the premiere position the day before the day before. This is oh, quite is a privilege. It's pre quite a privileged spot. What well, is the day of Jupiter? Yes. Nicely done. <laughs> Congratulations. Awesome. Well, I look forward to seeing both of you in person again then next year if all goes according to plan and everything goes well. Um, that'll be fun to have everybody together again. It will be amazing. Be awesome. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, I guess that's it for this episode of the Astrology Podcast. Um, thank you both for joining me today. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a real pleasure. Thank you, guys. All right. And thanks, everybody who uh, attended the live uh, audience of patrons. This has been great, and I appreciate all your comments. Thanks, everyone, for your support. Um, please be sure to like this video on YouTube, subscribe, and drop a comment below. Otherwise, we'll see you again next month for the forecast for November. So good luck, and we'll see you again next time. Goodbye. Bye. Special thanks to all the patrons that supported the production of this episode of the podcast through our page on patreon.com. In particular, thanks to all the patrons on our producers tier, including Nate Craddock, Thomas Miller, Catherine Conroy, Christy Moe, Ariana Amour, Mandy Ray, Angelique Nambo, Sumo Kopic, Issa Sabah, Jake Otero, Morgan McKenzie, Kristen Otero, Sanjay Srihari, and Rachel Stalvi. For more information about how to become a patron and get benefits such as early access to new episodes or private bonus episodes only available to patrons, visit patreon.com slash astrologypodcast.
Special thanks also to our sponsors, including the Mountain Astrologer magazine, available at mountainastrologer.com, the Honeycomb Collective Personal Astrological Almanacs, available at honeycomb.co, Astrogold Astrology Software for the Mac operating system, which is available at astrogold.io, and you can use the promo code ASTROPODCAST15 for a 15% discount, the Portland School of Astrology, available at portlandastrology.org, Astrogold Astrology app for iPhone and Android, which is also available at astrogold.io, and finally, the Solar Fire Astrology Software program for Windows, which you can get from alabe.com, and you can use the promo code AP15 for a 15% discount.